0: morning, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you that your word, the Bible, is is a living thing. It's active, it's powerful, It's it's a book, it's words, and yet it's alive through the power of your spirit. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us now as we read it together, as we study it, as we seek to humble ourselves under it, and to live by it, we pray. So bless us, uh, meet with us now as we continue in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing how children born to same parents can turn out so completely differently, not only in looks, but in personality and in the way that each child behaves and, uh, and acts through their life. Children can have the same parents, they can have the same genes, the same upbringing, and yet they can turn out really, really quite different. Now, I'm one of three brothers. We all look very different and our personalities are all very different, but we all had the same parents with the same upbringing. When you have twins, some of you might have uh, no twins, or, and when you have twins, you'd expect, wouldn't you, that children would, if they're twins, to be completely the same. Particularly if they're identical twins, you'd expect them to just to turn out and grow up exactly the same. But even when they're identical twins, you can have twins who have very different personalities and turn out really, really quite differently. These are, are Claire's nephews in New Zealand, Stanley and Jay. They look incredibly alike. In fact, when they were, when they were younger... Claire's sister used to paint one of their toenails with a with a colour, so she knew which one was which. Uh, and it's possible they got mixed up at some point. Who knows? Because we don't know what. Because they look so alike. But actually, when you meet them and you get to know them, their personalities are really, really quite different. They look incredibly alike, and at school they often play tricks on their teachers and pretend to be each other, which sounds like a great idea to me. But th- their personalities are really, really quite different. And there's a set of twins in the Bible called Jacob and Esau, who not only look differently. But they turned out completely differently in their lives as well. Esau was hairy, the Bible says. Jacob had smooth skin. Esau was a hunter. Jacob stayed close and worked around the home. Esau was reckless. He was a reckless kind of person. Jacob was a a cunning schemer. And Jacob and Esau were the sons of a man called Isaac, who in turn was the son of Abraham. And as we've been studying the book of Genesis over the last few weeks and months, we've seen how God chose Abraham and gave him a great promise. And the promise was that he would have a a family and he would have many, many descendants. And that through his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. Abraham's family uh, family would grow and develop and eventually would would, would turn into a whole nation, the nation of Israel. And around 1,900 years after Abraham was alive, God sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ to be born into this nation. Jesus was an Israelite. He was a direct descendant of Abraham. He was a Jew, and Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross. That was his specific purpose for coming. Was to come to live and to die on the cross to take the punishment for all the wrong things, what we call sins, the wrong things that you and I do. So that if we put our faith and our trust in Him, we can have uh, our lives can be forgiven. We can have a relationship with Him, and we can. Uh, become part of this great family of God's. We can have eternal life. And that was the great fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. And so Abraham would not only have many physical descendants, this whole nation that would descend from him over hundreds and thousands of years, but he would also be like a kind of spiritual father for all those who over the years would put their faith and trust in Jesus. Just as Abraham put his faith and trust in God and in the future coming of Jesus, So also many other people throughout history would put their faith and trust in Jesus. And many of us here in the room today have done exactly that. We've put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And as we do that, and when we do that, we follow in Abraham's footsteps as a man of faith. We become part of his, not his physical family, but his spiritual family as people who equally have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Jacob and Esau were... Abraham's grandsons and Isaac's sons. And what we're going to see today is how this great promise to bless the whole world, eventually through the person of Jesus, how this promise was played out, how it developed uh, and grew in the lives of Jacob and Esau. And as we see this promise played out through this family, we're going to see two different ways of living. As we look at Isaac, the twin's father, we're going to see a man who put his faith in God, who put his faith in this great promise of God, and who stayed focused on living for God despite some really great challenges in his life. Not only was Isaac part of Abraham's physical family, he was his his son, but he was also part of this spiritual family, just as we are if we've trusted in Jesus, because he put his faith in the future coming of the Lord Jesus. But then as we look at one of the sons, and in future weeks we're going to look at the other son, Jacob, a little bit more, but as we look at Esau today particularly, we're going to see a man who lived a very different life. He chose a different way. He was part of the physical family, but because of his actions, he chose not to be part of the spiritual family because he didn't put his faith in God and in this future coming of the Lord Jesus. So let's read our passage. We're going to read from Genesis 25 and verses 19-19. To 34. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn with me, you can do. If not, that's fine. You can just listen as I read it. I've got a new pair of glasses this week, so everything's a little bit all over the place. So I apologize if I get any words wrong. But we're going to read from Genesis 25 and verses 19 to 34, which is the end of the chapter. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaean from Padam Aram and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, last week, Rob took us through the process by which Abraham's son Isaac was married. He he married Rebekah. And verses twenty and twenty-one uh, give us some really important detail. If you look on your outline, it's also up on the screen for you. Isaac was forty years old when he married Rebekah. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. So Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. And we can assume that she was probably about half his age, maybe around 20. But there was a problem which quickly became evident. And that's that Rebekah couldn't have children. Isaac knew the promises that God had made to his father, Abraham. The promise that through Isaac, this great nation was going to come. And from that nation, the whole world would eventually be blessed through the person of the Lord Jesus. And yet, despite the promises that Isaac had, the wife that God had given to him was unable to have children. On the one hand, he had these promises, but on the other hand, his wife couldn't have children. But despite this apparent contradiction, he believed that God nevertheless had the answer. And so he prayed to the Lord on Rebecca's behalf, and she eventually became pregnant. But it didn't happen overnight. Look at verse 26. Isaac was 60 years old, When Rebecca gave birth to them. So he was 40 when they got married and he was 60 when they eventually had these twins. Isaac prayed for 20 years before God eventually answered his prayers. Well, that is what you call persistence in prayer, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I struggle to pray for things for a short while. You know, a week or two or three for me is what I call long-term persistence in prayer. And if it doesn't happen, we sometimes kind of deduce, perhaps rightly sometimes, but we deduce maybe that's not God's will and so we, we change our prayers and we move on to pray for other things. But Isaac prayed for 20 years, not just 20 days, 20 weeks, 20 months, 20 years he prayed and prayed and eventually God answered his prayer. Isaac recognized that God was in control. He had this kind of conundrum or this dilemma that on the one hand God had given him a wife. He had these promises and yet it wasn't happening. And so he recognized that it was God who was in control. He recognized that God was at work and so he brought that situation to God. He knew that he, God was able to change the situation. And that's a great challenge for us today, isn't it? As we, as we face problems in our lives, as, as other people around us, friends and family face challenges and problems in our lives... Because so often we fail to pray at all. And often only when after we've tried everything else, don't we? We, you know, we do everything else and then we think, actually, I haven't actually prayed about this. Whereas the Bible teaches us that God rewards those that seek him in faith through prayer. God rewards those that come to him in faith through prayer. And prayer demonstrates our faith in God. Prayer is many things, and and there's great mystery in prayer, but, but part of what prayer is about is demonstrating our faith in God. We come to somebody that we cannot see, we come in faith, believing that he has the power to be at work and change and transform our situations. The problem is that we live, particularly today, ever increasingly, in an instant gratification culture. You know, we have every single thing on our phone at an instant, and we live in that kind of culture, and it's difficult to escape from that. It makes it difficult for us to wait upon God. That sense of standing back and being patient and and trusting God is countercultural for us today because everything's instant. But the God that we pray to, the God that we worship this morning, well, there is only one God, but he's the same God that Isaac and Jacob and Esau uh, were were born into a relationship with. He's the same God that that Isaac prayed to. So the challenge for us is to not only pray about the situations that we face and, and those around us face, but also to be persistent in prayer. Because that demonstrates our faith in God. When we're persistent in prayer, when we pray in the first place, it demonstrates our faith. But as we persist in prayer, it demonstrates our faith in God. So write that down. God wants me to be persistent in prayer. God wants us to be persistent. God wants us to pray. Often we don't pray at all. But far more often we do pray and then we... Perhaps after a few days or a few weeks or a few months, we stop praying. But here's an example of somebody who prayed for 20 years. Jesus said the same. He said he taught a parable, and and, and the gospel writer says Jesus taught this parable to show that we should always pray and not give up. So there's great truth in this. But I want us just to take a few moments just to pause perhaps individually and think about those two or three big issues in your life that you've been praying for. Maybe for some time in your life that you've been praying for. And I want you to write them down, because it's really helpful sometimes to write those things down and just kind of have them crystallize in our, in our minds. Maybe you've been praying for something in the past, but you've stopped. Something that you feel God has put on your heart or a real problem, and you've stopped doing that, and you've just kind of taken your foot off that. Can I encourage you this morning? Write that down and, and start again. Start again praying for that thing and be persistent in praying for that. Maybe you've been praying for something for ages and you're weary and you're, you're kind of thinking, what is the point in this? God doesn't seem to be doing anything. And you're on the verge of stopping. Can I encourage you this morning? Keep going. Don't stop. Write, write those things down. It might be two or three things, one or two or three things, maybe deeply personal things. I don't know. But can I encourage you this morning? If you've stopped, start again. Unless you really feel God has said to you to stop. And if you're on that verge of quitting and, and stopping doing that, then keep going. Even if that means praying for another 20 years or more. Maybe it's for someone to be saved. Keep praying. Keep praying for that thing. Maybe it's for that miracle in your life, whatever that might be. Whatever it is, God wants us to always pray, the Bible says, and not give up. Can I encourage you this morning to be persistent in prayer? To be persistent and persist with those things that God has put on your heart and my heart. Isaac's a great example to us of somebody who put his faith in God and he saw things from an eternal point of view and he trusted in God over the long haul. This was 20 years and and, and more. It wasn't just a kind of flash in the pan. And this was rewarded by his wife, uh, Rebecca, becoming pregnant with twins and Isaac becoming the father of these twins at the age of 60. But as we read about Rebecca becoming pregnant, we're introduced to what's a really difficult concept for us to understand. And I'm going to try and do my best at explaining it this morning. Look at verse 22. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. As these two babies grew within Rebecca, they began to fight with each other. This was taking sibling rivalry to a whole new level. They were fighting even in the womb before they'd even come into the world. This was going to be a pattern, though, of of the way they lived for the rest of their lives. They were always rivals and always fighting with each other. And so the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So even before they were born, God was at work in these two lives, and He had chosen the younger of the two to be the one through whom His plan to bless the world would take place. Now, normally, Naturally, it would be the older child who would be the heir and he would inherit things from the father. But here God turns things upside down and he says it's going to be the other way around, it's going to be the younger. And we see God doing this right the way throughout the Bible. God chooses people and he involves them in his plans even when humanly speaking they seem unqualified or even sometimes disqualified. And if we trace his great plan of how he was going to bless the world by sending Jesus to die for us on the cross so that it's possible for us to be forgiven and and have eternal life and have a relationship with God, when we look at the human ancestry of Jesus, those that were humanly uh, Jesus' ancestors, God repeatedly chooses the people that are the most unlikely people to be Jesus' human ancestors. And part of the reason I think he does that is to show us that God is not interested in who we are or what we can do. That is a secondary issue. Part of the reason he does this is to show us the way that to a relationship with him and being right with God isn't based upon who we are or what we can do, but is solely based upon him being gracious to us, gracious or or to be gracious just means to treat us in a way we don't deserve to be treated. The world values people based on their wealth, based on their looks or their education or their their, uh, titles or the car they drive. But that is not how God views us. That's not how we should view each other. God specializes in taking people who've been written off by the world around them, and he takes them and he saves them and he does great things through them. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Today, you might not feel that you've got anything God would be interested in. And maybe in one sense, that would be true. But God loves you, nevertheless. God loves you with a passion. He loves you so much that Jesus came to die for you on the cross, to take the punishment for your sins. That's how much God loves you. And he loves to take people like you, people like me, who in this world's eyes might never really amount to a whole load. And he loves to take us and forgive us and clean us and give us a relationship with himself and give us eternal life and adopt us as his children into his family. And because having a relationship with God isn't based on who we are or what we do, then when we become God's children, if we, if we choose to accept his offer of love and forgiveness and become his children, then we've got nothing to boast about because it's all about God's grace. It's not something that we've earned or deserved. It's simply because we've received his grace. And Paul, writing in the book of of Romans in the New Testament, teaches us the same thing. And he uses the example of Jacob and Esau to make this point. And if we want to fully understand what, what is happening in the Old Testament, we always need to look what the New Testament teaches us about this. And Paul talks about Jacob and Esau in the book of Romans. And he says this, It is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. What does he mean by this? Well, In other words, just as God chose to work through Jacob, the younger brother, rather than Esau, the one who would naturally have been the one who would have inherited all the inheritance and the birthright and and would have been the one that God would have worked this great promise through. So we don't get to become God's children and be forgiven and have eternal life because of our human qualifications, such as being physically descended from Abraham, for instance, Instead, we get to become God's children. We get to receive forgiveness and eternal life because like Abraham, we've put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. In other words, God's children are those who trust in Jesus instead of relying on their ancestry or their good works or any other kind of human qualification. And Paul goes on to say this in the next verse in Romans. He says, Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. So God chose to work through Jacob rather than Esau to show that people are blessed by God, not because of who they are or what they will do, but because of his grace. Grace simply means God treating us in a way that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned. And God chose Jacob not because he deserved it, and we're going to see. Jacob was a right little rat, and we're going to see that in the future weeks. God didn't choose Jacob because of anything he would do or or, or deserve. He chose him because of his grace. But is that fair? It might seem unfair to us. Why does God choose to bless one and not the other? And that's a really good question, And and it's one that Paul answers in the very next verse in Romans. He says, what then shall we say is God unjust? Not at all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So was God unfair in choosing Jacob over Esau? Is he unfair in choosing to save some people and forgive them and give them a relationship with himself and eternal life and not others? Well, it might seem so to us from a human perspective, but Paul says here, no, God is God and he is free to have mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy. And this introduces, it's a really difficult concept, I'm trying to do my best to explain it this morning, but it's a concept that runs right the way throughout the Bible, and it's called election. And I've put a definition of what election means on your outline, and it's not by me, it's by theologian Wayne Grudem. So election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. Let me read that again, election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. So God chooses to save some people just as he chose to work in and through Jacob, not because of any, anything good Jacob would do, he did it simply because it pleased him to do so. And he saves people today, giving us forgiveness and eternal life and a relationship with himself, not because of any good that we might ever do, but simply because it pleases him in his mercy to show grace and mercy to some people. Now that's great if we happen to be the ones who've been on the receiving end of his mercy. But what about those who are not? Isn't that unfair? Isn't that intrinsically wrong that that I get to be blessed in this way and, and somebody else doesn't? Well, as Paul says, no, because God is entirely fair in his dealings with people. See, the reality is that every single human being is a sinner. We've all sinned, the Bible says, and we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. And as a result, we all deserve eternal separation from God. We all deserve eternal punishment in what the Bible calls hell. So every single human being alive and ever, that has ever lived deserves to face God's wrath and punishment for their sins. But God chooses to show mercy to some. It's a bit like 10 people who are caught red-handed in a bank raid. And they all plead guilty. There's no, there's no room for doubt. They're all sentenced to life imprisonment. And if they're all left in prison, then justice is done, absolutely. They can have no complaints and nobody else can have any complaints. But then if the judge comes along and says, I'm going to pardon two of these people, and if he sets them free, is he being unfair? that Two get to be pardoned and the others don't. Well, it might seem so from a human perspective, but actually it's not. Justice is still being done. Those who remain in prison are still getting what they deserve. It's just that the judge has been gracious and has chosen to pardon and forgive and set free two of the men. Not because they deserved it, not because they earned it, but simply because he chose to show mercy to two of them. And it's the same with God. And today, if, if you're someone who's trusted in Jesus and has been forgiven and has been adopted into God's family, then give thanks to, God's, to God for his grace to you because you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it you haven't received God's grace, you haven't received these blessings on the basis of anything you've done. And when we realize that we've received these great blessings from God, when we realize that God has given us all of these great things and we've not earned any of this, then the only logical response as a result of that is to offer our lives back to God. Write that down. The only logical response is to offer our lives back to God. Paul says the same in Romans 12, 1, doesn't he? He says, in view of God's mercy, in view of this great act of sovereign mercy, We should offer our lives as living sacrifices, which is is the logical or the, the spiritual act of worship to God. But I do want to stress that although the Bible does teach that God has chosen some to be saved before the world was even created, it still nevertheless teaches that the offer of forgiveness, of eternal life, and a relationship with God is freely available to everybody. This is a genuine offer to everybody who will respond. And if you want this morning to accept God's grace, if you want to accept the the offer of forgiveness and of being right with God and having your life cleaned up and made right and and coming to part of his family, you can do that. This is a genuine offer to everybody who will respond. That's something that you can do today. That's a step that you can take. You don't even need to go home this morning and do anything else. You can come to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have messed up. My life is not what it should be. And I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you're offering me forgiveness and eternal life. And this morning I choose to accept that. And I surrender my life to you. And in that moment, you can become a whole new person and enter into God's family. That is a real offer, a genuine offer that God offers to all. And maybe you want to know more about that. If that's something that you want to explore more, then please do come and chat with me afterwards. I'd be delighted to do that. However, this is a difficult concept. I admit this that, that how can these two things come together? election, what we call election on the one hand, and the free offer of grace and mercy on the other hand? All we can say is that the Bible clearly teaches both often we, we shy away from one or the other because we don 't understand them that 's not doing the Bible justice. We need to hold both, we need to hold to both of these teachings clearly and strongly but we are never going to fully be able to bring these two together with our finite human minds. So all we can do is hold them both, and teach them both, and believe in them both. Now we started out with Isaac, who had put his faith in God's promises and was persistent in prayer, and he wasn't living. Uh, uh, and, and he was living for the uh, uh, for eternity. He was he was focusing on God. He was focusing on the great promises of God. But then our passage ends with Esau one of Isaac's sons. And Esau was just the complete opposite. Hebrews 12 verse 6 says this to us about Esau. See that nobody is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. Esau is defined in the New Testament as being godless. Why? Why? Well, he knew the promises that God had given to Abraham about the great nation that was going to descend from him. And he knew how that this, uh, from that nation, the whole world would be blessed by one's particular special descendant. And he knew that that was going to be, he didn't know perhaps the full detail, but this was going to be the Lord Jesus Christ who would come, and that that descendant should have come through him. He was the oldest son. And he knew that as the oldest son, he was the focus of these promises. He was the one that the promise would naturally have been fulfilled through. But because Esau was godless, in other words, he wasn't interested in the things of God, he was more interested in instant gratification and just living for himself and living for the here and now. Because of that, he rejected what should have been his and he gave it to his younger brother just for a pot of stew. Staggering, isn't it? He came in starving, his cunning brother got, to, got him to sell his birthright and his inheritance and his place in this great plan of God and he sold it for a bit of stew. Staggering. And in doing so, as Genesis 25, 34 says this, so Esau despised his birthright because he was godless. He had no interest in the things of God or in God's plans for the world. And he handed over his part in the future, not just the inheritance of of the land and and the the money and all the rest of it, but he, he handed over his place and his part in history for a quick meal because he was hungry. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying to us today, don't be like Esau. Don't trade the eternal blessings that God wants to give you for instant gratification. Esau's a picture to us of the kind of person who who just lives for the here and now. Isn't interested in God, isn't interested in eternal things or what God is doing. Isn't interested in choosing to live for God and following him through the difficulties and challenges of life. Isaac trusted God. He, He persevered. He kept on praying for 20 years. Even though that must have been really, really hard. Whereas Esau wasn't interested in God. He just wanted to live for now. And the challenge for us today is to follow the example of Isaac rather than Esau. Sometimes life as a follower of Jesus can be really, really difficult. Sometimes the the situations that we find ourselves in can be really, really challenging. And like Isaac, we might have to struggle with with situations and difficulties that are really difficult for us to face up to. and, And might last like... Uh, Isaacs for for 20 years or more or a whole lifetime and it can be so tempting to bail out and to take the easy way out and instead of focusing on living for God and living for Jesus and, and being persistent in prayer and in faith we bail out and we choose the easy option and we live for the here and now the instant gratification culture maybe some of you today are getting a hard time from people at school or at work Or even in your family, maybe because you're a follower of Jesus. And the temptation can just be to sell out and bail out like Esau did and live for here and now because it's easier. And it is easier. But in doing so, we trade the great eternal blessings that God offers us as we follow him. Maybe you've made a decision to make in your life where doing things Jesus' way will be hard. Whereas the alternative would make life so much more easy, so much more comfortable. Just keep my head down just not going to say anything, just going to avoid that, just going to go with the flow, whatever it might be. Can I encourage you today, don't sell out like Esau did. Don't be godless. Don't exchange the blessings of God for an instant gratification, a bowl of stew, whatever your bowl of stew might look like. See, God wants us to follow Jesus, and following Jesus is difficult. It's often hard. It takes great perseverance. It takes great faith, rather than just living for the moment. Our culture says live for now, experience now, soak up all the the great stuff that's going on now. Don't worry about the long term. And God says, no, no, worry about the long term. Live for me, don't sell out, don't live for the moment. God's calling us to choose Jesus, to stay focused on the eternal blessings that he wants to give us instead of living for the here and now, which is just temporary and it doesn't last God choosing Jacob over Esau was fulfilled through the sinless, godless behavior of Esau. And knowing that Esau would one day uh, do what he did, God was able to turn what was a bad situation to a good one. And God chose to work through the younger twin Jacob so that this great nation and the great blessings that, that, that Jesus would bring would come not from Esau, not because of any good that Jacob would do, but to demonstrate his grace and his mercy. God doesn't love people because of who they are or what they can do. He loves people simply because he's a gracious God. And today he offers each one of us his love and his grace. He offers us eternal blessings, not based on who we are, but on what we do. Sorry, not on who we are or what we do. He, He offers them to us simply because he's a gracious God. Simply because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And the challenge for each one of us is to respond to his love and his grace and give him our whole lives in response. To choose to follow Jesus, to live his way, rather than living for the here and now. There's two ways we can live essentially and we can see them in the lives of Esau and of Isaac. We can live like Esau, we can reject God, we can live for the here and now perhaps in the big things of of actually trusting in Jesus for salvation, but also even as Christians, just in the daily things, we can sell out and choose the the here and now rather than living for the big picture, for God. Or we can live like Isaac, we can put our faith in God, in his promises, trust in him and live for him. So let's follow that, that great example of Isaac rather than of Esau and be people who stay focused on our heavenly calling and receive all those blessings that God wants to give to us let's pray father we come to you this morning we thank you for this difficult complex passage yet we thank you for the great things it teaches us we thank you for the example of these two different men two different ways of living help us to live in a way that honors you that chooses you each day that chooses to live your way rather than living for the here and now thank you too father for this great and difficult concept of election. And we don't understand it, we can never fully understand it, but we thank you, Father, for the fact that you choose to, to love us and you choose to give us your grace and mercy. Help us this morning to, to understand that it's not based on who we are or what we do, but it's just based on your grace, and we praise you for that. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's people here this morning who've never yet accepted your grace and mercy, that this morning they would reach out and put their faith and trust in you and give their lives to the Lord Jesus. Help us to live these things out, we pray, in our lives, in every day. And we thank you most of all for your grace. Lord, we have nothing to boast about. It's all of your grace, you treating us in a way we never deserved, we could never earn. We praise you this morning for your wonderful grace. In Jesus' name.